Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Learn how to structure your small firm to be a profitable small firm. How much should we charge? How much should we pay our employees? How can we plan for profit? Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 218. Welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, you're in the process of launching a startup, or you may be an experienced small firm architect just like me, just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. The journey to become an architect is one of many struggles and many accomplishments. Each step is achieved by setting goals, working hard, and doing what you set out to do. Every architect needs to follow their own road, and, and much of the way is unknown. We don't know what we're doing uh, as we, as we uh, try to achieve this goal that we have set for ourselves. Other than the clear path to licensure that NCARB has given us, the process to becoming an architect and, and, and starting our own firm is one that's often done through trial and error, unless you can find a good mentor or two that can help you navigate the way. 
This Week at Entree Architect podcast, how to start an architecture firm with architect and author, Timothy Ung. This episode of Entree Architect podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at rcat.com and FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. Timothy Ung, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. It's great having you here, Tim. You know, you and I have bumped into each other often uh, online. We also met in person at the Entree Architect Meetup uh, a couple of years ago in in Orlando and Florida. So it's good to have you on here. Um, you're also an active member in the Entree Architect community on Facebook and all the other things that we do, um, and uh, and an active participant in the Architects blog series. So you've been doing that for a long time as well. So it's it's good to have you on here and and share with our audience a little bit about what you're doing. So it's it's uh, cool that you're here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, me too. Me too. So let me let me introduce you to our listeners. Uh, Timothy Ung is a product designer and an architect based in New York. Uh, after getting his architecture license at the age of 26, Tim started a blog called Journey of an Architect to document his process of design and to pursue his goal of designing 30 theoretical projects by the time he turns 30 in May to, uh, 2020. That's an awesome idea. I love that idea. That's cool. I, 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 <laughs> Thank uh, you. I'm looking forward to following that. Uh, he currently was working uh, on a podcast with a fellow blogger, Mike LaValle of Evolving Architect. You guys might uh, recognize that name. He was episode 161, and he talked about um, the basics of SketchUp and how to get started in SketchUp. So you go check that out at episode 161. Um, Tim and Mike are putting together a, uh, a new podcast called Unpacking Design that's not launched yet, but it will be. And so you want to look out for that. Um, and and uh, Tim also develops prototypes for leather design company that he's starting in the summer of 2018. And I've been following him on Instagram and I know a bunch of the, uh, his prototypes are on there. So you should check him out. Uh, Tim underscore Ung is his Instagram. So go check that out. Uh, in the fall of 2016, Tim led a day-long seminar on starting an architecture firm where he brought together, this is a great idea too, he brought together an architect uh, with a young and successful firm um, with two lawyers, two accountants, and a strategic marketing branding professional to talk about the best practices and the important things to do when you're starting a firm. Awesome idea. I think every AIA chapter should be doing that. I think uh, uh, architects should organize, organize that event themselves. I think that's a great idea to sort of talk about how to start a firm with a bunch of professionals sitting around a table and having a, a, a casual conversation. An awesome idea. Um, and that led to uh, a blog post that followed up that event called Almost 40 Tips for Starting an Architecture Firm on his blog, Journey of an Architect. And that was very successful and, and well-received. And so that inspired an ebook called Starting an Architecture Firm. That's a great idea too. So I love having Tim here. So I love, I love the progression that's happened here. And it's only the beginning of this story for Tim, without a doubt. And so I wanted to get, on, get him on here so he can talk about um, his, 
his ideas, the early stages of this, because I want to bring him on in a couple of years and, and talk about the updates of what happens here, because he's got a lot of plans here. So so we want to get into that. We want to get into the book, how you wrote that, why why you wrote it. Uh, but before we do, we do that, Tim, I want, to, I want to know your story. I want to know your origin story. So go back, you know, take a minute or two to share your journey from where you discovered architecture when you decided that there was a purpose in architecture for you. Um, and share that story to where you find yourself today. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for that long introduction there. Um, <laughs> it was a great one. And uh, my origin story goes way back to high school. It doesn't go as far back as many people from their childhood and onward. But in high school, um, I was born and raised in New York City, went to a high school that was down in Wall Street. It was a fantastic high school right across the street from the Goldman Sachs corporate building. And during my time there, they offered a program called the ACE Mentor uh, Program. And uh, it's, it's a program that brings together architects, construction managers, and engineers. And um, the goal of the program was to get younger people uh, to be exposed to all of these different industries. And when I joined the program, I had 17 architects as my mentors. I had about 10 construction management people as my mentors, and I believe they had seven or eight different engineers. And so wow. being in, in New York City gave me that opportunity to have all of these different people come together and teach us about these different fields. So as soon as I joined the program, I decided to go into the architecture side of it. And when I did that, I was just amazed at all of the things that we were talking about. and learning from these architects on my team uh, was probably the best experience I've ever had. So one of the things that we immediately jumped into during this program was to design a building for a design competition that they put together. And the building that we were designing was a theoretical one. It was called a vertical farm. And it was going to be a farm located in New York City um, within a skyscraper. And the goal of it was to grow enough crops to feed all of the people around that building. And the other part of it was to use technology of that day to try and gain uh, passive energy and then use that passive energy to then power those buildings around us as well. So learning from these engineers and the architecture team was fascinating for me. From that, I actually ended up getting a uh, internship at a local engineering firm and it was a, a great firm, too. So I worked at Leslie Robertson Associates, who works with some of the bigger architecture firms like Skidmore Wings and Merrill, Gensler. Um, and I believe they're now working with a lot of the big name architects. And during my time there, I was able to work with uh, a fantastic structural engineer on the Whitney Museum. And during that time, he was showing me how to do the, some of the structural designs for it, the calculations. And I also got to see all the architects' designs. And from that experience, I was just blown away. And I was like, you know what? I think architecture is more of the path for me. I want to come up with these designs, and I want to try and realize them and see them come to life. So from there, um, the, the ACE Mentor Program was coming to an end. We presented our competition proposal, and my team ended up winning. So that led to a scholarship for architecture. And I said, you know what, since I have this scholarship, it probably makes the most sense to go to school for architecture. 
And that was my introduction to architecture. Then I decided to go to university at Buffalo, which is about six hours away by car from New York City. And when I got to the architecture school, uh, this was back in 2008, I was just so confused about all the things I was doing, to be quite honest with you. I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't know what the architecture professors wanted me to do. I always thought architecture was just going to be skyscrapers because that's what I was surrounded by. And after a few years, I started to, to get it. I started getting the, the design ideas. I started understanding what, what the, the lingo was referring to. And I started to take on from there. So within five years, I was able to graduate with my bachelor's degree in architecture and my master's degree. So in the year 2013, I finally graduated. And I was like, you know what? Now I got to set on, a, on another goal. I know that I want to be an architect. I know I want to be licensed. So let me go out there and start studying for all of the architecture registration exams and do all of my IDP hours for the intern program. So within two years, I completed all of that. And I was just setting on another goal, at, you know, just to keep up with this momentum that I had. And um, from that moment onward, I got my license in 2016 in New York, and I was 26 years old. And I said, the next thing I really want to do is start an architecture firm. In order to do that, there's still so much that I need to learn about practicing as an architect, but there's also a few things that I need to have. One of those things is a portfolio of work that I can show to my clients and to say, this is the kind of architecture that I'm designing. So to start developing that portfolio, I thought, you know what, why not start a blog that focuses on designing 30 projects by the time I turn 30? Because I heard about this thing that some of my colleagues did, which is the 30 by 30 goal. And it's where they set out on a mission to do 30 things that they choose by the time they turn 30. So I switched that goal around and I just made it 30 projects by the time I turned 30. So by the moment I started that goal, I had about four and a half years to design all of those projects. Today, I've got probably 17 or 18 of those projects done. And throughout that journey so far, I've actually realized that architecture isn't the only thing I want to do. I realized that I have more of a passion for design in general. And one of those other areas that I'm excited about is leatherworking. So that is the reason why in your introduction we were talking about the uh, leatherworking goal and starting a company for all of the leather that I'll be making uh, this summer in 2018. I love that. What a, what a fantastic story. There's so much, so much there. We could have four episodes uh, with, with you <laughs> in different, different topics. For one, you know, you should write a book about goal setting and achieving your goals because you're pretty good at that as well. Um, <laughs> and I, I love the idea of the 30 by 30. Um, I love the idea of doing 30 projects, but I love the idea of 30 by 30 because um, it sort of will expose you to these things that you may not have otherwise been exposed to. Like for you, you set a goal for 30 uh, design projects by the time you're 30 and you discovered this love of, of leather work. And so now you have this whole other path that you can, you can follow. And, and it's really going to um, show you the opportunities that you have before you and you'll be much happier that way. You know, for, for me, I've always had this, 
this, these blinders on, you know, since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be an architect. So I never, never in a million years had the opportunity to look beyond what my goal was. I just, that was my goal and I was shooting for it. So I love the idea of the, the 30 by 30. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. Um, I, you also talked about how, um, coming from where you, the opportunities that you had in New York city where, I mean, New York city is, is an amazing city. Um, you had the opportunity to go to that school, to have that ACE program. That ACE program led to many connections and, and opportunities, have, a, uh, have this, this, uh, this um, uh, competition, and then that led to a scholarship, all those opportunities uh, from, from being in New York City, but, which, are, which were great. But when you got to Buffalo, you sort of had this curse of knowledge that you knew too much of what the end goal was, that you didn't have any idea of what it takes to get to that end goal. And got sort of overwhelmed by that. I'd love to sort of get your feedback on that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So once I got to, to the university, we went from, uh, well, I went from talking about architecture from the perspective of the, the built environment that was already around me. So talking about the architecture from New York City and all the skyscrapers, the structure, the way that their, uh, their forms were. Um, when you are exposed to these things from a young age, and you enter the architecture program, in many cases, you start off with theory. You start off by talking about design from a different perspective. You talk about it from the inside out. And that's where I struggled the most. We were using terms that I've never heard of before, and we started talking from an artist's language, right? So um, it was a different experience for me because I, I've never been in a situation where I had to talk about designing something from nothing. I had a team around me at the ACE Mentor Program where we all just talked about ideas until it came to fruition. At the university, it was a lot of the uh, solo and independent work where you sit down at your desk and you kind of feel like you're competing with everyone else around you. But after a few years, that entire dynamic changed and everyone was a lot more willing to talk to each other by junior year of college. And once we started doing that, that's when I learned the most because we were sharing ideas and we were teaching each other how to use all of the new programs like um, Revit and Rhinoceros and SketchUp. We were just constantly feeding each other all of these new ideas. So Yeah, I, it's amazing what happens when we share our knowledge with one another. Um, it's, it's one of the, the greatest things that have, that's happened through Entree Architect. Uh, is the community that's been built around it, and the and the culture of that community is is sharing and support and encouragement. That there's no negative, there's no hiding, there's no hoarding. Uh, it's all about building one another up and and growing one another, and we're all going to grow together. And so you experienced that as well in your in your college. Yeah, that's right. So you once you so you you launched journeyofanarchitect.com to sort of document this thirty by thirty. Uh, goal that you had. Um, and where did that, the event come from? Where, where did that fit into the story? So then that's a good question, Mark. So once I started Journey of an Architect and I designed a few projects, uh, I, I also started to learn a lot more at the firm where I'm employed. So I work at a firm here in Buffalo. And um, as, as I was working on more and more projects, I started getting more opportunities. So I went from being the drafts person to being a project architect. And today I'm now managing a project that's in the range of $14 million. And so during that time frame, uh, there was a moment where 
I realized, you know, I really want to start an architecture firm um, by the time I turn 30. And in order to do that, I need to learn a lot more about uh, the necessary steps to take for being successful with an architecture firm and also to start it off at the, on the right foot. So as soon as I came up with that idea, I said, you know what, why don't I put together a seminar and bring together these professionals who can teach all of the primary areas of starting a business? Because as you know, Mark, as, a, as an architecture firm owner, and as an architect, you have to bring together all these different trades because your consultants know more than you do about your mechanical, electrical, and, and all the other engineering fields. So why not bring professionals together in a similar fashion? So as soon as I had that idea, I said, you know what? There's um, the fellowship of the American Institute of Architects had a grant that they provide to the Emerging Professionals Committee that I think we can get. So... Surely enough, I was I was in a the local emerging professionals committee with Mike Lavalley and uh, another colleague of ours, and our colleague suggested this idea and said, you know what, why don't we put together a program and apply for this grant and try and do something as a committee? And we sat down and talked about it for a little while, and during that discussion, we realized that it would be a great opportunity for us to teach all of the local architects in Buffalo and elsewhere who want to come out here uh, how to start a practice and how to do it in the correct way. For, to us, we didn't know what the correct way meant. All we knew was that there is a right way to starting a business. And as an architect, we don't learn that in school. Right. We don't really learn that in the profession. We just kind of wing it. And in many cases, a lot of people just jump right in, right? They just say, hey, you know what? I've got enough experience. I'm ready to start something of my own. Yeah, that's and then they most, take the most leap. cases. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so how do you avoid making mistakes from the beginning? Right? How do you find the the right path to take from the onset of your firm? And that's where this idea came up. And we applied for that fellowship grant and we got it. So that's that's how this whole event came together. And then that inspired the blog post? That's right. So once we put this event together, we had the we went out for this day-long seminar and there were over 30 people that came out to this and in buffalo that's a significant amount of people there are some people that drove from syracuse and rochester and elsewhere in albany i believe and they came out and attended this event um and all of the information that came out of that event was very inspiring because the the uh question that we provided and the the um, outline for every presentation was each professional team had one hour to teach all of the architects in the room the best practices and the best way of starting a firm from their respective field. So the architect that came in talked about how he started his practice and what he learned along the way, and he jumped right in. Um, and then the others followed suit, and they all had their very specific one-hour presentation about what is the best way to, of starting an architecture firm from their perspective? And all of that, all of those ideas came together and it was culminated into this blog post. And the blog post is almost 40 tips for starting an architecture firm. That's, that's, uh, you can find that on uh, uh, journeyofanarchitect.com. We'll also have it linked on the, uh, the show notes. So check out the show notes for this show. Um, and then, and, and that became a very, popular blog post, right? That was started being shared and, and, and read throughout the internet. 
Right. That's correct. So it, it was one of the blog posts that I put the most time into because I was so passionate about this event after it was over. And I said, you know what, I, I really need to share this information with other people who are looking to start a firm but don't really know how to start one. Right. And at the time, since it was such a long post to write, I, I didn't put as much information into it as I could have. You know, I tried to keep it down to just a core and brief um, snippet. Right. Right. And so and so that when when did you realize that this needs to be more developed and, and this um, needs to become a book? Well, uh, so a few weeks after that, I started seeing more and more views on, on my blog. And um, at that time, I started thinking more about expanding on all of this information for myself. So honestly, Mark, it, it was kind of a selfish mm -hmm. reason. Yeah, I, I started thinking about it and I said, you know what? I need to write something to remember this whole process so that when I'm ready to start my firm, I have this this guide in front of me. Yeah, that's exactly how Entree Architect started. It started as really? me, me documenting my ideas on a personal blog in 2007, and uh, and it just kept growing, and it, and it grew an audience around it from 2007. In 2012, that audience encouraged me to make it into something bigger, and I relaunched it into Entree Architect. It was Entrepreneur Architect in 2012. Um, no, actually, no, in 2012, I relaunched it as EntreeArchitect.com. Um, yeah, and so it was, it was me documenting my ideas and, and it sort of growing into something bigger, just like you did. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, and FreshBooks. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to the internet, straight to google.com. And then I sifted through the hundreds of results, maybe thousands of results, to find the one or two that might be the link that I'm looking for. And more often than not, it wasn't. It wasn't what I was looking for, or it was outdated, or it didn't meet my requirements. So what do I do? I go back to the search engine and I start all over again. And this could take all afternoon to find the one or two or three products that I'm looking for. Does this sound familiar? Do you do this? There is a better way. Our friends at RCAT. Arcat.com, A-R-C-A-T. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard, and keep it all online right there in one place using their cloud-based project organization tool, Charette. Here's an idea. Make Arcat a part of your efficient project workflow. Use it on every project. Just type in entrearchitect.com slash Arcat. That's entrearchitect.com slash Arcat. Type that into your internet browser and add it to your favorites. And then on every project, use Arcat. Just click that link. You'll go straight to Arcat and you'll find everything that you're looking for in seconds. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. entrearchitect.com slash Arcat. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And getting started with FreshBooks, this is so ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. It's a click of a button. 
The same goes for tracking time, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's simple, fast, easy, life-changing. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is a phone call or an email away. I've used it. It works. And if you ever have second thoughts, don't worry. On top of their free trial for Entree Architect listeners, you get a free 30-day money-back guarantee so you don't ever have to worry about choosing fresh books. So give it a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks to access your free unlimited 30-day trial. So our cat and FreshBooks, please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. You know, you have Journey of an Architect and it turned into this, this blog post that was really successful and then and that inspired the idea, okay, I want to start an architecture firm. I need to research this. And from your, you know, from your origin story, clearly, um, when you set your mind on something at a goal as a goal, you're going to go full blast on it and make this thing happen. And so, developing all the ideas and documenting all the information that you need to start your architecture firm, that led to this this ebook. That's right. So as soon as I started seeing more and more interest in his blog post. Um, and, you know, having that selfish reason to write this down for myself, I finally decided after a few months that I really needed to start getting this thing written, you know? So I developed an outline. I outlined each section of this book and I broke it up exactly the same way as the seminar that we provided. And it was broken into business, branding and marketing, contract and insurance and um, advice from the architect, because I think that's important to have in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, I, I had that outline in front of me for a while. And I also knew that I still had some more things to learn before I felt ready to write this book. So during that one year period between the time that the blog post was written and now with this ebook, I moved from being the, uh, Project architect on a project I'm working on to being a project manager, and in that time frame, I learned so much because I entered the the construction realm, and that's where I think rubber meets the road, and you really learn what architecture is about. And so, during that time frame, uh, I decided, you know what, it's time for me to actually sit down and put this thing together. So. I pulled out the outline and within a month I wrote this book and starting with each of the sections, I just like to, to give your audience some of the, the information yeah, from I the book that, that yeah. yeah, that I was so excited about. So the first one is something that might sound simple for everyone to understand, but it's actually something that I struggled understanding in the beginning, which is um, creating a business plan and setting your goals. So when I thought about starting an, a firm, I didn't think about it from the perspective of planning the entire thing out. I thought in the future, what I would realize is one day I'd sit down, put down my drafting pen wherever I was and just say, you know what, it's time to make this transition. I'm just going to go and start a firm. Um, so when I actually learned about what a business plan was and the importance of setting goals, as you know, I'm very big on goal setting. Um, I decided, you know what, this is a chapter that I think is very important. It's important to let people know why a, a business plan can help their firm 
And it's also important to know that goals can change as your firm evolves. Your goals will never be the same. You know, you should have your long-term goal, which is a 10-year goal. You should have a mid-term goal, which is a five-year goal, and then an annual goal, something that you're trying to meet every year. And when you're writing a business plan, your business plan really needs to be your reason for starting your firm. It shouldn't be something that you found on the internet as a template and just filled out. It should be something that's personal to you. In some cases, it might be a short one-page plan. In others, it might be a 30-page document that you came up with. And to be comfortable with it and to be able to look at your business plan when you're done with it and understand everything that's within that that plan is important because you want to share that plan with the people that you hire in the future to join your firm. That way, you're all working towards the same goals and everyone knows why this firm came about. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. That's exactly what a business plan for for uh, for architects should be. Um, business plans for other companies are done differently, I think. But for us, I think that it's very important to plan out our our lives and the business is part of that. Um, and I think it, it, it should be we, I mean, we all have these these dreams. We all have these ideas. We all have these visions of what we want our lives and our businesses to look like. The business plan is essentially a documentation of that dream and that vision and those plans that you have. You just take all of that stuff out of your head that we all have in our head. We all dream about it and get it down on a piece of paper. And once you write it down on that piece of paper, then it starts becoming real and it starts, you can start organizing it and you can start planning it and you can start setting goals and dates and deadlines. And that's when it starts getting real. So now you can take those dreams and those visions out of your head and that's how you reach those goals that you set. That's really right. Exciting. Yeah. And then the, the next part of this is developing a brand for your firm. So having a brand for your firm is very important. It's the first thing people think about when they hear your firm's name. Um, in the beginning, when, when I thought about starting an architecture firm, I, I never actually considered how important a name for a firm could be. We're used to seeing the names of architecture firms being the name of the actual owner. In your case, Mark, I'm curious about how you came up with the name for your firm. Your, you and your wife both have uh, Five Cat Studio. How did that come about? Yeah, it's Five Cat Studio. If you ask me, it's one story. And if you ask my wife and my partner, is that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's inspired by the fact that, that we are animal rescue advocates. Actually, Anne-Marie is a, an animal, animal rescue advocate. She's actually a, a certified dog trainer in addition to being an architect. And so it's her passion is is dogs and rescuing animals, and and we have cats. We have five cats, and we've we've had five cats for many years. And we just sort of keep you know if we lose one, we'll add another one to the collection. And so we've always had five. And so it's sort of an it's uh, honoring the animals, honoring the inspiration and the passion that Anne Marie has, um, and it gives us an opportunity to tell the story about rescuing animals. That, that when, when people do ask us what that name is all about, from my point of view. It was very important for us to differentiate ourselves. You know, my mind is a business mind, um, and I wanted to create a, a name or, or a brand that can be identified with us, that we were unique, that we were different than everybody else that, that had, you know, the, the typical Smith & Smith Architects name. Um, and so Five Cat Studio very clearly makes us different than everybody else. That's, so that's why we came up with that name. Right, and, and to me that's fascinating because when you start a firm such as the one that 
you have there, uh, it's all about the story behind it, right? right? So that's that's how you can start sharing your identity with people. When you meet them and they ask you, well, how did you come up with this name for your firm? Or when they ask about your firm, you can tell them that story. And there's more behind that that idea. So having a brand for your firm that people can recognize and can tie to you is very important. And that's not to say that your firm shouldn't be named after yourself. It just means that there should be more thought put into it. In addition, the way that you design your logo, the way that you portray yourself in public, all of that ties back to your brand. Your brand isn't just the logo that people see online. It's it's how people think of you. Exactly. So it was very important to understand that for me. Um, and then the last part about the branding is a lot of architects like to believe that, especially me, I, I like thinking this as well, that we're, we're designers at heart, so we should design everything ourselves. In a case like designing a logo or branding or anything like that, I actually think it's better to hire someone else to design it for you who went to school for graphic arts or went to school for graphic design and they have that knowledge of what goes into designing a logo. There's a lot more that goes into it than we know of. So that's just something that I wanted to throw in there. Um, and moving on from the branding side of things, what I was so amazed by at this at the seminar that we led was the contract and insurance knowledge that we learned from the, the lawyers that came out. So I only asked one lawyer to come out, but she thought it was so important to bring out her colleague to talk about getting insurance for your firm. I didn't even consider the insurance aspect of it, but it was great that she did. So understanding the purpose of a contract is very important. There's so many things that architects sign without reading that I think is detrimental to any business, especially architects who work in the public sector. When you look at a lot of the contracts that are designed by public entities or government entities, there's a lot of things in there that can really hurt a firm. One of those things is the way that um, architects are held liable for a lot more than we shouldn't be. And it could be something as simple as misreading one of the indemnity clauses. What are we going to indemnify the um, public agency from in terms of our design and our uh, project. Sometimes when you read that, that indemnity clause, if it runs on for pages, there's probably something wrong there, right? And so there are clauses that we have to be very mindful of and that we should have lawyers that help our firm look at before we sign. And in the same way, uh, for a smaller architecture firm, there are clauses between the owner and our firm that we should be very mindful of as well. They, there are certain things that should be included. Things like, what is the owner going to be held accountable for providing? Should they be attending meetings all the time? How quickly should they be paying your firm, right? There should be clauses in there that make sure our firm can stay afloat and that if the owner doesn't pay on time, we have a clause that protects us and allows us to stop work legally without having to continue designing this and ultimately hope to be paid. That way we avoid that free architect design world. Yeah, exactly. And, and Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that's, that the contract not only protects you from, from legal action, or, 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 but it sets the expectations. It allows you to set the expectation between you and your client and what's what you're going to provide what they're going to provide because without that contract and without 
the the expectation that's when your project starts falling apart it's when you become having problems because something's going to happen and you need a process in order to address that issue and the contract allows you to do that that's right and and in the same section there was something else that that i learned about that was so surprising for me because um of the way that i've always heard about it so it was if you ever get into any claims between a contractor and your firm or the owner and your firm, how do you how do you move ahead? Do you go through mediation? Do you go through litigation? Or do you go through arbitration? And the in the scenarios that I've always heard in the past, it was always you go through mediation, which is where you sit down with a third party and you guys talk about it, right? The person who has the claim against your firm and your firm sit together with this third party and you discuss it and discuss it and discuss it. You hope to come to the to a, some kind of resolution. S someone might say, you know what, 80% of it is on party A and 20% of it is on party B. And then you would agree to it, sign, a, sign it off, and then it would be over. However, if that doesn't work out and no parties agree, in the past, I used to think that you would go through arbitration. What arbitration is, is when you're going into um, a courtroom where supposedly the people in that room are aware or versed in construction. That way they can listen to all of the things being said and come to a, a final determination of who's at fault or how much of that fault is placed on each party. Well, in a lot of cases, I've actually learned recently that Many people who go through arbitration typically come out and realize as an architecture firm that it wasn't what they expected. In a lot of cases, most of those trials went in favor of the, the construction, the contractor team, because the contractor team had a different story or whatever. And once that gets signed and sealed, that case is over and you can't bring it up anymore. However, if you go the other route and you went through a lit litigation, you're in front of a jury who might not know everything about the case, but you have the opportunity to get evidence for your trial. You have the opportunity to uh, lay out your case. And then if you disagree with the, the final outcome, you can appeal the case and bring it to higher court. I didn't realize that was an option. So that was something I learned and that's, that's all in the book as well. Um, I think it's very important to know things like this, especially to protect your firm. Yeah, I, I wonder if you know this is a, this is a book that you're writing as you're preparing to start your architecture firm. And I wonder if this becomes a living document that as you uh, grow and you and you experience more through uh, having your own architecture firm, whether this this book uh, has has a second chapter or it's an amended version, or I wonder how much um, it will um, be revised as you move through the process. Oh, I, I'm sure it'll be revised pretty often yeah. in, the, in the sense that these things always change as yeah, new yeah. laws come out, as new ideas and new ways of running a business comes out. Those things will obviously be incorporated. Yeah, so. I love that idea. I love that that it's it's a documentation of all the information that you've gathered to this point and that every time you learn something new or, or something changes or the, the business of architecture changes, you can go back and you can you can edit it and, and amend it and add to it and it'll be uh it'll be a, it'll always be an up-to-date architecture book that's right and and so the the last two things that i'll talk about is the first one is insurance shopping around for your insurance and 
making sure that you ask each agency that you're considering how they handle their claims. You want to make sure that the people who you're going to and the people that will be insuring your company know how to handle construction claims or architecture claims and that they've worked with architecture firms in the past. Um, now, when you're looking for an insurance company, it's similar to looking for an auto agency as well in the sense that you want to make sure you're finding the right person to represent you. Uh, there's so many questions that you can ask, but it's, it's, very, it's very important that you go and interview every firm that you're considering taking on as your insurance agency. And then the last part of this is just the advice from the architect. The first thing that he said that stuck out the most and that I, I really thought was great of him to, to talk about was uh, leaving your architecture firm on good terms. So Meaning yep. wherever you're working at that time that you decide to make the switch and you say, you know what? I've done this for enough time. I'm ready to take this risk and, and do something on my own. Make sure that the owner of that company is aware of your intentions, that your colleagues there know that you're going to start this thing, and then slowly make that transition out. Make sure that you're doing it in a way that is agreed upon by everyone in that, in that firm so that you're not stepping on anyone's toes. And at the same time, you never know if the owner of that company or if any of the other partners know of a project that they can't take on, but they'd like to give to you. And that small part of your network starts to expand exponentially as you go on through your firm. That is so important that, that because that firm that you're working for now, if you do it right, becomes your best referral. Because, That's right. Because they have work that comes to them that, that they are not prepared to do or they don't want to do. Um, and they are looking for somebody to refer it to. And if you do it well, um, they will they will make it a process to refer you. And so every work, every project that comes in that they can't do will come to you. It's a great way to start your architecture firm. That's how we started. We had two or three architects that, uh, that we had worked with in the past. And um, most of the work that launched 5Cat Studio was referrals from past, client, uh, past employers. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So what's the last section? The love, uh, love the business of architecture. Oh, so so that that section was something that I put together. It's it's just a my own way of um, reminding myself why I'm in this profession mm -hmm. of architecture and um, what I hope everyone else does when they start their own business uh, as an architect. And the biggest thing of this last chapter is just a two-page chapter. It's it's something short and brief. Um, the biggest point that comes out of it is never settle for less than what you're worth. And I think that's something important for every architect to understand that we as an architecture community need to stop saying things like we can do this for less so that later we can get more. We yeah. need to know what we're worth today and never settle for anything less than that. We have to always work ethically, stay honest, and we have to aspire for more successful projects every day. With every new project that comes into our firms, we have to make sure that we're getting paid what we should be getting paid and that we stop undercutting each other because there, that seems to be a thing in the profession where you know you can bid less on a project to get it. And the reason why I think it's important to put that in there is because we get into the business of architecture for a reason. We get into it for our livelihoods, but we also get into it 
just for ourselves, for our passion of design and for our passion of seeing the world around us change and being the, the enablers of that change. And so this final chapter is more of a reminder to myself that no matter what I do, how much money I make, it's, it's all about realizing my love for architecture and trying my best every day to stay by that. Fantastic. What a, a fantastic resource. It's called the, the Beginner's Guide to Ar uh, Starting an Architecture Firm. Uh, you can get it at journeyofanarchitect.com. Um, it'll be elsewhere as well, but that's where you can learn about it. Um, it's, it's a great book. Let me just read some of the sections that are in it. Um, creating a business plan and goals, selecting a legal entity, uh, maintain records on accounts and bookkeeping. So it's talking about bookkeeping, financing for the firm, developing your brand, uh, integrity and ethics, how to network, getting involved in social media, having a blog and website, purpose of a contract. Uh, I just want to sort of go through that. It's, it's comprehensive. It has everything that you might want to know information about. Shop around for insurance. Um, be ready to take on roles and responsibilities. Finding the right office for your firm. Finding a mentor to offer guidance. And then at the, the final section, the seventh section, are, are all resources. So there's resources on business and financial goal, uh, financial and contracts, uh, websites, and design software. And so uh, it's it's pretty comprehensive book so it's definitely something you want to uh, to go check out so tim before we wrap up here i want to um to ask you one final question that i'm sure you will have an answer to because this <laughs> leads right into your book what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow i think that a small business today can start building a team and mentoring that team so that their business can thrive tomorrow. Every business that is out there is based on the people that are within it. And sometimes it's difficult to do things on your own. When you have that team that you can fall back on and a team that can support you when you need it, that team will bring your firm beyond what you thought was going to be uh, your firm's vision. Great, great, great advice. The website is journeyofanarchitect.com. Again, the book is a beginner's guide to starting an architecture firm, which you can find all the information that you need over at journeyofanarchitect.com. Um, Tim's on Facebook at um, Journey of an Architect and Twitter and very involved in Instagram. Go check out his Instagram feed at Tim underscore Ung, U-N-G, uh, Tim underscore Ung. So Timothy Ung, thank you for joining us here today and for sharing your knowledge at the Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. Hey, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. This is episode 218. The link to share is entrearchitect.com slash 218. That is a, a, the place you can go to download this episode, to subscribe to the podcast. So please do, if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, Go to entrearchitect.com slash episode 218, click the subscribe button, and you will get a notification every week when we post our newest episode, entrearchitect.com slash episode 218. Go share it with a friend. That's how we're growing here. That's how architects throughout the world are finding out about Entree Architect podcast and what we're talking about here. So please go, go share right now. And don't forget to go visit our friends over at Arca Speak Podcast and Inside the Firm Podcast, two 
excellent podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Entree Architect Podcast, put those guys on your on your playlist and listen to them too. And tell them we sent them, sent you over there. That that Entree Architect said, hey, go check out Speak Podcast and Inside the Firm Podcast. Go say hi. And don't forget to download your free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects at entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's a free course. It is a course that will teach you how to structure your firm, how to structure the business of your firm so you will end up at the end of the year profitable. It gives you everything you need to know. It is a very valuable course. We give it away for free because we want you to learn how to be profitable because profitable architects are better architects. Building better businesses creates better architects, gives you more time, more resources, more money to go do the things that you love to do as an architect. So my name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I hope that you are too. And I encourage you to go build a better business, go be profitable so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.